Hello, everybody, and welcome to Rank, the podcast where movie lovers come together to rank your favorite movies. Which movies will make you reach a cinematic orgasm, and which ones will leave a shit stain in the history of cinema? There's only one way to find out. Join us. My name is Caitlin Denny, filmmaker and archivist. And I'm Julian Vargas, filmmaker. We obsessively watch all the movies by one director, actor, writer, or under a particular theme, and rank them from best to worst. This is episode 3, part 1, covering the filmography of Milos Forman. Czechoslovakian filmmaker, um, and we're not watching his documentaries, we're just doing his feature-length films, right Julian? Yes. Cool! And now I want to, <laughs> I wanted to ask you something really okay. important. Did you know about Milos Forman before we did this? Um, yeah, I mean, I knew he existed uh-huh. when I was a little child in Colombia. I wasn't a child, but I was like in my teens. And it was um, 1997, so I wasn't still in school, about to graduate. That was like a really important years for me in terms of music and in terms of movies Mm -hmm. and I felt so kind of like like an adult or sort sort of like I'm a mature person going to see this movie about this you're a naughty little adult this like guy with a dirty magazine hustler magazine which I knew was dirtier than 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 playboy Mm -hmm. actually I saw it in video because I don't think I was I don't think I don't think I I was able to go to the theater back then to watch the movie so I saw it in video and and it was around the time to uh, that Boogie Nights was around, uh, which was done, I believe, a year after. And mm-hmm. uh, so that was my first impression of Milos Forman. Seriously, it's the only movie I watched. I think later, and I also watched One Flew Over, over the Cuckoo's Nest, mm-hmm. which I absolutely loved when I was when a kid. When yeah. I first saw it, I, I loved it, and I, I, th- I think I bought the DVD, which was really expensive at the time to buy a DVD for me, at least when I was in high school. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I bought it. Whoa. So I guess you were a there was Foreman fan. Uh, it wasn't the making. I've only seen yeah. two of his movies, but yeah. How about you? Well, you blew your um, allowance on a Milos sure Foreman DVD. I so did. That says That's a lot. something. Yeah. Um, well, I let's see. I mean, I grew up watching Amadeus like on repeat in my yeah. oh, wow. <laughs> with my family. We loved that movie. My parents loved that movie a lot, and so we thus the children saw it a lot and it was hilarious so it was like even though there's a lot of sexual and very dark things in that movie it was considered a family film in my household um saw that a bunch saw one flew over the cuckoo's nest when i was probably 19 getting into film right um and i knew about the people versus larry flint when it came out but i thought it was too I guess I was a prude or something. I wasn't like... I, right. don't, I don't know. Something like... I was like, oh, that's a movie not for me. I shouldn't, wow. I shouldn't be seeing that. Maybe... We, I wonder if we could have been friends back then. Maybe but not. But my favorite movie was Hairspray. You know, John Waters and oh, so, David Lynch so were there was still filmmakers. potential for friendship. Yeah, There's I just... Still, there was something about, like, the, the Larry Flint himself that I was like, ooh. Yeah. No. Um, and then those were the only ones I had seen. 
seen of his, and I've I always wanted to see hair. Hair was always on my list of like, oh, I got. Well, see now you that got to see it, Kaylin. Now you I got, got to, to see it. it. So those were my yeah, that was my uh, experience with him beforehand. Cool. So you did some extra um, research, as you did in our last episode about Lynn Ramsey. You're just all about that research. I just huh? love the research, yeah. You like learning about these guys. Well, yeah. so do I, So, and I'm going to listen to you. So what did you find out about Milos Forman? All right. Milos Forman was born in February 18th of 1932 in Czechoslovakia, now called the Czech Republic. We sadly lost him this year on April 13th. 2018, mm-hmm. um, he grew up in a small town where his mother managed a hotel and started to get, and he started to go to the movies around that time as a child. And he says that one of his earliest memories was watching Walt Disney's Walt Disney's uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. That was one of his yeah. first memories. But his childhood was interrupted by violence and tragedy with the invasion of Nazi Germany troops um, of Czechoslovakia. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah similar to our uh, Verhoeven yeah. story, right? Yeah. His dad was arrested by the Gestapo, and his mom was captured and sent to a concentration camp. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. It's way more tragic. Uh, she died in Auschwitz, actually. And what? his dad died of scarlet fever while he was being transported to from one concentration camp to another. So he lost completely his family. He was then raised by his relatives and entered the world of theater by, by the influence of his brother, who was also being chased by the Gestapo. Um, he started writing plays, and then later on he started writing for the screen, and he started getting paid for it, for the screen. Mm-hmm. And for the Communist Party, this was not a good thing. It was considered, like, low or, like... It was just not a pure thing to make cash about anything, right. I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and his first film uh, was in 1964. It was a documentary called Audition that chronicled uh, a musical talent competition. And his first feature film was the 1964 Black Peter that we're going to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, but he became increasingly frustrated with all the obstacles that he was facing uh, in the Czech Republic, especially dealing with the Communist Party. And we're going to talk about later on how this was especially insane with when he made Fireman's Ball. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but that movie that was so successful and actually was nominated for an Oscar, uh, it was it, it gave him the strength and uh, I guess yeah he he knew that now he had something to show for more to show for to move to the United States. So he moved to New York. Um, and he made his first unsuccessful American film in 1971, which was Taken Off. And then he made his very successful, first very successful American film, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And in 1975, he won an Oscar for Best Director and Best uh, oh. Film for this one. Wow. Um, and Milos was here to stay, and he became a U.S. citizen in 1977. Wow. Cool. Uh, so yeah, um, so join us. We're gonna explore his entire filmography, including his flops and his greatest hits. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to read one of his quotes that I think really sure. talks about his philosophy as a director. Sure. Yeah. He says the best way to legitimize authority is by knowing what you want and not asking for the impossible. Sounds pretty reasonable. The best way to legitimize authority authority is by knowing what you want and not asking for the impossible. He's talking about himself in that, or just as as a directing. 
Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Every time I, you know, what I always think about politics when I think of him. No, no. When it's it comes to his background and stuff. No, and no, when no. He says he's talking about, about directing. It, this is, okay, okay. Cool. So, yeah, you know, when you're a director, when you're, because you become, you're like an authority figure, mm-hmm. so you got to know what you want. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you don't, you don't ask for the impossible. Right, right. You got to know what your limitations are. Right. I think that sounds yeah. pretty make, good. Well, and that kind of means like making people comfortable, right? You're not asking yeah. for anything that's impossible of them to do. Like you're not a diva. You're, right, You're, you're exactly. really asking for... He does seem like he was like that kind of person, right? Yeah, he, he was does. never like pushy with his actors yeah. or mean to them or demanding. Yeah. <clears throat> That's great. Cool. Cool. 1964's Black Peter was Milos Forman's debut feature film. 16-year-old Peter takes a summer job as an undercover security guard in a busy supermarket where finding shoplifters is the ultimate goal. But Peter longs to spend summer with his friends and maybe girlfriend Asa rather than be at work. Peter's father continually berates him for his lack of motivation for his job, going on long-winded lectures about the young man's soon-to-be failure of a life. Peter is an unlikely hero, completely unsure of everything in his life, yet acting as a symbol for the youth rebellion in Czechoslovakia that was rising there and across the world in the 1960s. Black Peter introduces viewers to some of Foreman's tropes that he will use time and again moving forward. Awkward teen romance, large dance hall parties, antiquated social formalities, compassion for desperate people, and his use of non-actors. Foreman won first prize at the Locarno Film Festival, beating out Antonioni's Red Desert and Godard's Contempt. Wow. Yeah. Um, I didn't know. I, I knew it was that he beat Antonioni and Godard, mm-hmm. but I didn't know it was Godard's Contempt. Yeah. Isn't that big crazy? Deal. I love that movie. It was pretty crazy. I haven't seen the Antonioni one. But, this, yeah. um, Black, I'll also say Black Peter was written by Foreman and his friend Ivan Passer, um, based on the book by another one of his friends, Yaroslav Papusek. I think that's how you pronounce it. Yeah, it was actually a novella. Novella, okay. And cinematography by Jan Nemesek. So, I had never seen this film. It's a coming-of-age story about a 16-year-old boy with a barely-there mustache. It's a sad (laughs) little mustache. Yeah. And his hair is... His hair... You know who he reminds me of? Jeremy Renner. He looks like A a, a young awkward Czechoslovakian Jeremy Renner with a sad little mustache. Yeah. It's a very naturalistic (laughs) kind of acting that we see in the character and all the characters. I believe it's mostly, uh, I think all of them are actually non-actors in this movie. Actually, one of the people that he uses in this movie, uh, the guy who plays the dad, actually, which is one of the best roles um, in this movie, he played band leader uh, in... And his previous film, Audition, which is a documentary. So obviously he's a non-actor. Right. He's a musician. He's a musician. Yeah. And I also read about how the woman who plays the mom of uh-huh. Peter, she's also not an actress. Right. And she was the most accommodating person. Mm-hmm. And apparently she was always trying to make like Czechoslovakian food, like pastries right. and stuff for the crew all the time. And she was actually getting kind of stressed out about it. Oh my God. But he was like, you know, you're doing a great favor <laughs> to us. Like, you got to chill the fuck out. Like, you're good. Right. And, you know, I, I think it, I think the acting is, it's definitely a naturalistic acting and I think it works. Um, mm-hmm. This is considered, 
like in like, this is considered like one of the more uh, important films of the Czech new wave. Um, it was also very much influenced by neorealism, and you can tell in the movie like it's very, um, yeah. it's very real. And yeah. Actually, Milos was kind of worried about this. He was worried that it was gonna be too boring <laughs> because mm-hmm. it was too close to life. It's like these are just people yeah, acting people the way they acting, usually yeah. do. I think the only non act, uh, the non, the only professional actor in the film is uh, Senda. He's the oh. bricklayer, the young bricklayer, Vladimir Puchol. He was in mm. his fourth year of the drama school in Czechoslovakia. He's the only like professional sort actor of. and he was professional. Still learning. He was still learning, and then he went on to be in um, another one of the next Foreman film, actually too. But um. Yeah, everybody else were non-actors. And something that Foreman has said about working with non-actors, which I think is really interesting and I'd love to use in my own uh, technique Mm -hmm. one day, is that he would never give any of them a script. Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah. And he would just, on the spot, kind of explain what the scene is and kind of tell them their lines on the spot. And they're kind of, you know, they'd remember bits and pieces of what the yeah. dialogue was supposed to be. But it makes it authentic. But that, right, and that way they would, have to, they would have to um, improvise and, yeah. and just be in yeah. the moment. And he got really great performances out of that. He would always say, he always said like um, that non-actors were afraid of the camera, but or were not afraid of the camera, but were afraid of an audience. So mm-hmm. like being in front of a camera and improvising wasn't a big deal for them, whereas like professional actors yeah. were scared in front of the camera. It's an interesting Antidote. Yeah, no, I'm, and I think it worked. Uh, I like this film. Um, mm-hmm. It definitely feels like a first film. Yeah. Um, which is. Why do you say that? Um, I do think sometimes it does borderline to be way too simplistic at some point. And I think even though I like certain scenes, um, It does risk to be a little bit too like, yeah, too simplistic and like, and yeah, I know that's the point of it. Like, not, not a whole lot is going on. It becomes a little bit repetitive at times. Mm-hmm. Like, you kind of see the same action over and over again. Yeah. Um, which is fine. Um, and you know, it's kind of actually, you know, when we talked about that quote uh, that he that he says that you need to know what you want and not asking for the impossible. Mm-hmm. It seems like he was really applying those principles in directing this film because it was his first film. He didn't have a lot of money, so he picked something really simple yeah. and then made it happen. Yeah, pretty easy to shoot. Mm-hmm. Even the group, the um, the dance scene and stuff, they free. rented the ice rink and then said, here's a free party. Come. Correct. And nope, they didn't pay the extras, basically. That's yeah. what it was. Yeah. Which is great. Like, great, good, good technique. You get yeah, that's, free extras. That's, that's, that's what it was, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I liked it and I appreciate the experimentation of it. It's like a, um, it's more like a slice of life. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just not a whole lot of tension in here. No, and I think the tension is supposed to come from the uncertainty of of Peter. Poor Peter, you know, he's really unsure of everything that he's doing. Does he want that girl to be his girlfriend or not? He seems a little back and forth. Is he going to beat up the bricklayer kid or not? Like, he's mad at him, but he's not really. Does he want to be, 
you know, have a good relationship with his father. That's maybe the most clear. Not really. He's not very interested in that. No, he's very apathetic and about everything. Like yeah, he doesn't exactly. even he doesn't That's even, the word. He doesn't even care about the job that he has. He really doesn't care. He doesn't Although care. he does follow. Okay, so he ends up following well, somebody that he thinks and, is a shoplifter. And he ends up being like And then he kind of gives up. Right. He's yeah. like he goes outside of the store to follow him around all day. He's like, oh, well, and then goes home. Like a kid, you know? Like <laughs> yeah. a kid. Like, he's he's still trying to figure it out. So, so you know, like, it, it, that's why it's true to life. When you're that age, you kind of don't know who you are. Yeah. And you don't necessarily have strong opinions about anything. Right. And I think it kind of shows in that. He's it does. Very, he's and just kind of, like, going through life. You know, mm-hmm. trying to understand and make sense of all this thing. But he's very kind of... Stoic, almost. Right, yeah, I think so. And his father picks up on that, too. When he says, if you're not sure of what you're going to do, I'm going to make all the decisions for you until you are. There were a couple of of scenes that I found particularly fun (laughs) and remarkable. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I love that scene where he goes out and chases this person thinking he's a thief. That was a pretty fun scene. Beautiful, really beautiful. I also love the scene when they have that, like, sort of like a naked... um, I think it's a Victorian painting of a woman. Oh, my like God. Like one of those... That might like, be my favorite Like Madonna, scene. like old, like naked Madonna mo- yes. uh, painting. And obviously there was like... That was like his first sort of access to sexuality and seeing a woman naked. Right. And, through and his father obviously lectures him around it, about it. So I thought it was pretty funny. And, you know, we cannot forget about Ahoy. That part, Ahoy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is it the best or the most annoying part of this movie? Maybe both. I think maybe both. It's a little <laughs> bit annoying, but it's also kind of endearing. So ahoy means hello in in Czechoslovakian, yeah. and there's a character, the bricklayer, who um, he's kind of he he follows around Peter and his girlfriend Asa um, in the small town that they live in. Sees him at the pool, follows him around, just tries to keep bothering them. I think he really just wants to be friends with them in the end. You've known people like this, yeah. right? When you're yeah. a teenager where it's like boys fight with girls just because they actually really like them. That sort of deal. He's like yeah. trying to like pick a fight with these guys, but really wants to just wants be the included. attention. He wants to be friends. He wants, he wants to be, to be included, friends with but them. But he doesn't have the social skills to so he's do like, it. So he almost picks a fight with Peter because yeah. he says, Ahoy! in a certain way, which means hello, and Peter just goes, Ahoy. He just does it in a really obnoxious he, way. Yeah, and he's like, No, you have to say it. Ahoy! Ahoy! Yeah. yeah. Actually, why don't we hear a clip from it? Ahoy! 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 Yeah, it's really annoying. <laughs> it is. Um, um, a couple more things uh, about the movie. Uh, there were actually two movies that uh, uh, Milush. Foreman, um, and named us to, as influences for this film. Uh, one of them was Bertolucci's uh, Before the, the Revolution, that also deals with like a young person, a young student, like trying to reconcile his like middle class values, and he has uh, militant views about the Italian Communist Party. So mm-hmm. you know it's similar. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of coming of age, and there's also uh, um, All Miss the Job. Um, it's another film that he cites as one of his influences, and this one's also a story about a young man who 
is trying to figure it out and he starts working for like a big corporation and he ended up meeting this girl but then because they ended up getting different jobs in different corporations they end up being separated mm -hmm. so it's not you know it's not exactly the same but it's like and they're both neorealist movies yeah uh -huh. so you can see how that influenced uh, his film like right. the, that style like it's uh, it looks like a neorealist film you can tell the influence but it's actually yeah. influenced by neorealistic films and he said it so right yeah. cool um, I've also heard that like his biggest inspiration was just pure truthful reaction to the socialist and communist um, propaganda films that yeah, were going on because he like right he saw Se Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs when he was a little kid mm -hmm. he said he didn't see a film until he was 13 years old because yeah. he didn't want to see propaganda film oh yeah probably for a while that's all, all yeah, he could see yeah and so his filmmaking really is just a pure reaction to like I just want to express a true story of what it's like to be human and not be some communist you know crazy human person yeah that makes sense um, also one of the things that uh, people like to talk about this film, especially folks that study the, the new wave movement, um, one of the tropes from that movement is like the open-ended films, like the narratives are open-ended, like oh, yeah. you don't really, you know, like in this film, like it ends and you don't know, what, oh, there's not like a beginning, middle and end, like there's not really something that, there's no closure. Yeah, the ending is odd, isn't it? It is odd. And it's actually considered <laughs> radical even for people who study like uh, new wave films because it kind of ends in a freeze frame. In an interrupted ending. Yeah. It's it's it's, it's, it's an interrupted sentence. Right. It's about Which to say so could, and it ends. It could be so it's when his father is lecturing him Correct. one of his many lectures that he gives yes. the boy. I honestly this was my least favorite scene cuz I'm like, "Oh my god, when's he going to stop?" And maybe and then at the end, I realized, oh, he, Milos, Milos is trying to make you feel that way. Like, when will this father stop berating his son? And then he cuts him off mid-sentence. He steps it for us, but yeah. we don't know for how long that's going to go for the character. But Peter, it's frozen for Peter as well. Because yeah. then it cuts back to Peter, and he's moving. And he's like, what? And he's still there, listening to the same freaking lecture like, forever yeah, and ever. Right, so. Maybe forever, or maybe it's a sci-fi movie. Maybe it and is. he stops time. Maybe he stops time. Maybe that's really what this movie is about. Ahoy! That was the song at the beginning of Loves of a Blonde. I couldn't understand anything. It's just something about turning into a hooligan. If you don't some, do, do something wrong, you might turn into a hooligan. Woo! That's all I understood from that. Cool. I like that song. Anyways, this 1985 film tells the story of a young factory girl, Andula, who craves to break the routine of her working class existence. Boys become the great distraction for her to get out of her dull reality. She even goes to a party organized by the local communist government for factory workers to meet men, which is going to be the men that they're going to meet is a, is a bunch of soldiers. This ends up being a real bummer, as they all happen to be old farts. Yeah. Uh, she still and meets creeps. a young pianist, though. She, she meets one, a young pianist. Um, but Andula is still trying to figure out what the fuck does love has to do with it. Tina Turner is not in this movie, by the way, but she'll be in another form of movie coming up soon. 
Um, it is considered part of the Czech New Wave as well. Um, this film was also nominated uh, for an Oscar for Best Foreign Film. Oh, yeah. yeah, I heard a story he told about this an actual woman he saw carrying a suitcase, and mm -hmm. that's where he got kind of got the idea for her mm -hmm. character. A woman who didn't look like she was rushing home or really had anywhere to go and was slowly kind of walking through the streets with a suitcase. It's very sad. Another black and white Czech New Wave film Correct. using a lot of non-actors, non-professional actors, mm -hmm. and a few um, and a few professional. Again, the use of the boy who played the the boyfriend, uh, Vladimir Pusholt. Something like that is his name. Um, but the rest of them are non-actors, most of them, including the lead actress. Um, I personally loved this movie. I thought it was very moving. And, you know, a lot of male directors and writers, they're not very good at writing female characters. And I think this one was very true to life and very... Like, how do they know that? I mean, I don't know how a girl feels, but it just felt really genuine to me. It felt really sensitive, like the way they with her sexuality and just her discovering herself. It really did. I agree with you. And it felt like um, it was from her perspective in a way that wasn't being um, stripped of, of her innocence and confusion. At that age, being a woman where you're sexualized and trying to figure out your sexuality and maybe unsure of the world and you get taken advantage of a lot by men. And the men in this film do exactly that. And they're, and she sees them in all of their creepiness and yeah. disgustingness. And but also, like, they're vulnerable and weird. Yeah, everyone, yeah, time. yeah, it's true. It's a really authentic and, and amazing view of um, kind of predatory men towards young women. Yeah. Yeah, I also like the... The karate, the, I also like the friendships that, that she had with the other girls. Yeah. There was like a lot of empathy between them. Yes. Like they were kind of like trying to help each other all the time. Mm -hmm. and They're always checking in with each other. Uh, yeah. Except, I mean, Andula kind of uh, takes off and doesn't tell the two other friends in the middle of this movie. Remember? Well, um, yeah, she, that, that's like her moment where she's just kind of like rebellious. And it's yeah. just like, I'm going to go, I'm not going to tell anyone. I'm just going to do this thing. Yeah. Because she's so needy for affection. She's so she's needy, needy to, like, get this guy. Um, she thinks it's real love. She thinks it's love. real love. And that's what the whole, or that's why it's be. called Love Super Blonde. Because yeah. she's she's trying to figure out love. And, like, she doesn't really understand it. She doesn't understand sexuality. She doesn't understand anything. Mm -hmm. She doesn't know what the fuck is happening. She's just, right. we see her going through that uh, development in her life. Right. And I guess another thing, um, so the film... We, was inspired by this young woman that Milos Forman saw with a suitcase walking around the city. And he actually started talking to this woman, and she told him that she comes from a small town in Czechoslovakia that has 90% women in the town. Oh. So that's, and that plays into the concept of this film, too. I think they say in the beginning, something in the beginning about there's 16 women to Correct. each man in the town. So and that's why they bring a, all these soldiers because yeah. they're trying to get them matched with men. Yeah. Basically, yeah. And so there's a added a bit of desperation, I think, in the, mm -hmm. for the women in this film who all, you know, back then, that was the sign of success or yeah. like a good life if you and, got married. 
And I also like how poignant it is, the sort of like political commentary of the film. And it just, it really shows you how the politics of the town affects the day and day life of these people. And I love the scenes when we see her at the factory doing the same thing over and over again. And then even her prospects to finding a boy or someone to finding love are almost kind of like regulated by the government too because there's not a lot of men and they have to bring these soldiers to like get when right. it's it's, it's like a lot of it's very controlling environment and it seems like she lives like in a foster it's not a foster home but like kind of like a it's a dormitory a dormitory which yeah. i was under the impression it's a dormitory for a school but they're not go- it doesn't look like she's going to school. She's working. So I'm not really sure what that situation yeah. was. Yeah. They're all very young. They're teenagers. They're very young. They have really funny haircuts, some of them. Oh, I want to talk about <laughs> that. The teased hair. Yeah. And this, he does have a lot. I mean, he has a lot of teased hair in um, a few of his other films after this as well. Taking Off, I believe, has a lot of teased hair, too. And I think it was like, it's a 60s thing, right? Hairspray. Yeah. You know, like. Yeah. It was a look, but I feel like the Czech women really mastered that teased hair thing. Yeah. And it's like, wow. To the point that sometimes it looked a little bit funny. Like, it looks a like, little ratty. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, it talks, a lo- it talks a lot about, it says a lot about the poverty that they were living in. Like, they're trying to look cool, Man, but they might, not not have the, they might not have the resources mm-hmm. to, like, really get the do well. Right. <laughs> um I I do I definitely think this is to me at least it's an it's an improvement from from Black Peter I think it's mm-hmm. it's it's more yeah. stylized like the other one just mm-hmm. like the way the camera moves uh, the different the variety and different shots that he uses mm-hmm. and it also has that same neorealistic uh, influence and he actually cites the same movies that we cited before as his influence for this movie as well yeah um but it also has a little bit of a surreal uh element to it especially at the beginning uh, that the scene with the trees where she's like tying a tie oh, to yes. one of her trees uh-huh. trying to find a boy yeah it's just a little strange and it's like what the fuck is going on yeah. here so it has like sort of like that sort of surreal moment in in the yeah. film that i i really appreciate it it's a beautiful scene yeah. Um, then she meets that weird ranger. That weird ranger, yeah. And also, it's Ugh. a very funny movie, though. It There's is. It the is. Hum- uh-huh. It's it's like one of the th- scenes like that I find one of the things one of the quotes or the lines of the film that I thought were really funny is like when she's hanging out with that guy that it seems that she's having her first sexual experience. The guy kind the piano player. The piano player. Yeah. She, he kind of gives her a compliment in the no, strangest yeah. in the strangest way. He says something like, "You look like a guitar painted by Picasso." Wow, yeah. what a compliment! That is yeah. really it's strange, fucking compliment. Yeah. I know it's it's, but it's funny because it just shows also, like the the guy doesn't know what the fuck he's doing either. No, he doesn't know how to court woman. He doesn't know how to talk to a woman, and nobody there knows how to talk to a woman. Not even those soldiers. Oh they were God. terrible. That was so painful. I think. I love that scene. Again, we've got an amazing ball dance scene mm-hmm. in, in this film, which there will be more to come as well. Um, and I loved that scene, but it was pain a little bit painful for me to watch those men staring at the girls and giving them bottles of drink. And the worst part was they start egging them on to finish the wine and they want to go out in the woods with them. Yeah. And it's it very creepy. Like slightly traumatizing to me or yeah. re-traumatizing. Well, they get, they, they get out of it though. They do. 
but, but it's, it's very just, it's very realistic it's, it's very, very realistic. realistic and i don't know what he said to those act those guys to make them act like that maybe they really are like that because they're not actors i don't know it was just very uncomfortable you know actually one of them the main guy I don't remember uh -huh. his name, but like he's an actor. He's actually an actor, okay. and I, I, I mean, I looked it up on IMDb, and he has a bunch of credits, just oh, like in, okay. in his, okay, good, in Czechoslovakia. He was, the he was pretty good. Yeah, um, I, I really felt for um, Hana, uh, Andula, who, who felt for Andula, who was played by Hana Brechova, who actually was uh, Milo Forman's sister-in-law mm -hmm. at the time. Um, she was a non-actor yeah. as well, um, but he knew her well and thought she would do great in this. And she's she did. great. Yeah. She does a great job. Um, but when she goes to visit, so she meets the piano player, has maybe her first sexual encounter with him. He says something like, here's my address in this town that I live in. Come see me sometime. <laughs> and sh she shows and she up shows without up telling with anyone. The with a suitcase. With a suitcase. And, you know... Wow. The mom of the kid is outraged. He's like, what the fuck is going on with this girl? Yeah. What is wrong with you? Why are you here? Right. Um, which is a painful scene, but it's also hilarious. Like, yeah. She goes The, the woman, she, she loses it. She goes crazy. And, and then, I don't want to spoil it, but then the end is, it gets pretty hilarious and pretty ridiculous at the end. And also it's bittersweet. Because it's really sad, but it's also really fucking funny. Yeah. And all the situations that happen at the end. I um, feel for her in that moment, though. It's like she really... She's so young, and having that experience with somebody, and then you you think, oh, this is... This might be it. Maybe this is the guy. And then you go and... Well, you go to his house with a suitcase. It's this false romanticism that a lot of young women have and place on men that take advantage of them and it just makes me so angry and so I felt yeah, but really it's, felt it, but her. it's also growing pains you know definitely we, and they both were going through it at the same mm -hmm. time and they do genuinely both like each other they yeah. just are bad at communicating yeah <laughs> it really comes down to that it seems also that with this second movie uh, he also breaks out of the open-endedness of the like, it's still kind of open-ended. Like, we don't mm -hmm. know what's going to happen. It doesn't give us, like, a... But we do have sort of, like, an end. You know, you could you could say that there's a, there's an end. There's, like, a beginning, middle, and end to it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's not as transparent as it is, but you can find that. It's not as... Uh, um, yeah, he breaks that. That he had in his first movie was, like, very... Right. But it's... um The ending is kind of uh, going back to the beginning almost mm -hmm. like there's a beginning middle and back to the beginning again almost in a lot of ways would you say she just goes back to her same old life yeah so it does have like a it does give us a closure it does have sort some of, kind yeah. of closure she's still looking she's still looking she's still <laughs> the same person she still wants to fall in love with a boy and, and she's she still spray painting shoes what was she doing to those little shoes she was doing spraying some, something, something on them yeah glue? working, working at the factory spraying glue on the soles or something like that yeah um, anyways she's uh, she's a fantastic factory girl and we see her with great winged eyeliner and so um the father and the mother that we talked about that she goes to with her suitcase they're the father and mother of her first sexual encounter a piano player um, they were both non-actors. The mother was found 
on a subway. She sat oh, next wow. to Milos Foreman, and he told a joke to his friend, and she laughed. And he got to talking to her, and she was a motor mouth. And um, they partied with her and asked oh, her to be damn. in the movie. And she was amazing. She's kind of like the father in Black Peter, where she just is a nonstop beratement of, of their child. And the father is awesome, too. He's a very I know, very he's super laid back. Man. He's more like laid back. He kind of doesn't care what's going on. He's a very short but large man, fellow. And he was the uncle of the cameraman. Oh. So it's a family it's affair. It's a family on. affair, this yeah. movie. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was a great film. I really enjoyed watching it. Well, even through the painful kind of re-traumatizing moments. <laughs> I love this, too. I love the movie. Um, I find it interesting how we both appreciate um, this movie, but it's interesting to see how personal experience definitely changes the way a person views the film. Like, I obviously don't have the baggage of being a girl and being ogled by men, because obviously I didn't have to deal with that. So I it didn't have as much like emotional resonance to me, and it obviously did to you. So we both yeah. enjoyed it, but we definitely connected to it emotionally in a different way. Yeah. And I think that's it's interesting. Foreman's 1967 dark comedy, The Fireman's Ball, tells the story of a group of local volunteer firemen who put on a large benefit raffle and dance, including a spur-of-the-moment beauty pageant. The ball does not go as planned, and in fact, goes berserk. In this film, an unintended political allegory had been reached, causing the film to be banned in Czechoslovakia until after the, Pro the Prague Spring happened the following year. It was later banned again when the Warsaw Pact armies occupied Czechoslovakia. It was nominated for a 1969 Oscar for Best Foreign Language Film. Written by Milos Forman, Jaroslav Papusek, and Ivan Passer. Um, cinematography by Miroslav Ondrasek. Well, this movie is amazing. Yeah. Uh, it, it's it, it's it's a great movie, um, and it's very simple too. I like how everything happens in one place. Everything happens at the ball. It's called Fireman's right. Ball, and probably over like a six-hour span. And something. the whole movie happens at the ball. Yeah. And then after the ball, when they, there's a fire that happens in the next next door neighbor from right. the ball, mm -hmm. so I love how it is all contained in that space, and it's just it's simply hilarious. Like it's very simple, but it's it works, it works. I thought it was genius that they work it out in such such a simple thing, and they and they work it out like that. I loved it too. It was the first film I watched um, in preparation for this out Me of too. all of the Foreman films. And I was just so excited after I saw this. I was like, oh, I didn't know he, I didn't know he did stuff like this. I know. Um, although, the result, um, Foreman has said that this was a molested film. So it he was, did. yeah. So he said that the edit is different than what he wanted it to be well. initially. And it has a lot of controversy surrounding this film. Oh, I know right? about that. Yeah. I mean, I think it was probably like a really emotional roller coaster for Foreman to make this movie, because he kept on he had he had like crazy pressure from the government, and he was actually on the verge of getting in trouble uh, because of one of his producers, uh, Carlo Ponti. He wanted his money back, 
and yeah. he was getting the government involved with this, and he was accusing him of something like economic damage to the state or something like that. Right. And because he delivered 73 minutes worth of movie rather than 75. Although the real... Oh, really? Yeah. But the That's real was. reason was that they didn't Carlo like Ponti just didn't like the, didn't like the, the message. Movie. He was making... Because yeah. he thought he was making fun of the proletariat. The proletarian message, yeah. I mean, a lot of people... It was like everyone didn't like it for whatever reason. Like, the Communist Party didn't like it because, you know, it, it, it makes... It, it, they thought it was making them look bad. Mm -hmm. And also, like, authority figures look bad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And right. the proletarian look bad. And the know? common man, the yeah. The common man. He was um, just making fun of everybody in this but, movie, which but is great. there was also, uh, from what I read, there was also a screening that was made for the regular people, for the proletarian, including the firemen. And they were trying... They were pushing this agenda on them, trying to mm -hmm. make them feel like the movie was making fun of them. But... They were actually asked about it, and the audience was like laughing the whole time, and the the people loved it. People thought it was funny, so it was it was complete and utter bullshit. It was just censorship. Right. He was just dealing with censorship. So yeah, that was really emotional for him. And actually, if he would have been accused of that crime, did you just uh, that we just talked about the economic damage to the state crime, he could have faced ten years in prison for that. Yeah. Uh, but thankfully, he was saved by um, Truffaut and Godard, amongst other people, that came in and basically picked up the rights of the film and spared the charges for him. So, right. so but that's he left like a anyway. Really... He was like, even though he paid his debt through the generosity of the French producers and directors, he said, fuck you to... Check oh yeah, he was sick left. of it. I mean, like, I, I can't, can't make films. I in cannot this imagine. Anymore. I cannot imagine going through that. Yeah. That must be so painful. Yeah. Um, and it's just such a. After it, making such a beautiful film, and too. especially it's... after making, especially when you make something good, and everyone tells, telling you basically that what you did is horrible and offensive and terrible. And, but, you know, he definitely got international validation for this because apparently the rest of the world thought it was amazing except for the Czechs. So, right. well, the Czech Republic, the government, the government apparently the people authority. liked it as well. Right. And, and, and yes, this, this movie is definitely a fuck you to authority figures. And it's making fun of, of that. And it's making fun of corruption. Um, like, the whole thing is all about appearances. They want to appear yeah. like they're this, like... They're so, like, you know, prideful and good people. and Right. But, like, honesty doesn't matter. So it's all about, like, it's all about, like, appearances. which is, And that's corruption. If you can't be honest and just, that's, mm -hmm. that's basically the definition of corruption. You're mm -hmm. doing something else behind everyone's back. Right. Or you're trying to portray this image. Is that the allegory of the beauty pageant that happens in this film? Well, to me, it's more with the prizes. Yeah. When the okay. prizes, because they have all these prizes that they're going to be uh, offering kind of like an auction to collect money for raffle. the... Raffle. Yeah, it's a raffle. The raffle. Like people bought tickets, tickets and they're going to, to be winning these... It wasn't an auction, it was a raffle. Prizes such as chocolate, head cheese, cognac, little uh, chocolate balls, sorry, mm -hmm. I have to say chocolate balls, um, <laughs> cake, um, little knickknacks, just weird Different things. Items. Yeah. But then they start disappearing... And then one of the firemen gets caught stealing shit. So the, they were stealing too. And, you know, they do it in a really playful way in the movie. But I think it, it's definitely a synonym to, like, a larger problem. Right. Which I think makes it so smart and, and, and great. Definitely. He also, I mean, kind of on the heels of 
loves of a blonde explores the um um, taking advantage of young women who oh, yeah. are just like you know they're still kids and they're they're learning that oh I can go places with my body and my looks and so there's a beauty pageant um, where some of the firemen get together and they huddle around each other like a pack of fucking wolves like which girl should we include in this beauty pageant and they scout out the girls there and then on the dance floor approaching them not wanting to tell their parents or anything and trying to get them in a back room altogether. Um, one of the girl's mothers joins her and she mo- wants her to be in the beauty pageant yeah. but also wants to be there in the room and the firemen they don't make like her it. leave yeah. so that they can, uh, you know, continue to partially undress these well, one women. Well, one of them decides to like go on a bathing suit, basically, like a bikini. Yeah. And she, she decides to undress and they're like, oh, they don't know what to do with it. Yeah. But then but then they they make her dress dress again because they feel like they're going to get in trouble or something. Right. They're a so, bunch of nasty dogs but and it's also very like, truthful about how the way men act. Yeah, and it's like an it, and it's like an allegory too. Well, not an allegory, but it's like in reality, this could be, you know, it could be like rape and like so many other horrible things that could happen. But in the movie, containing the movie is still comedic. It's still light. Right. It still makes the point. It's absurd. It's, it, it's absurd. It it's more absurd. The, it, and that's what I think we were talking about this earlier. What Milos Forman does so well in his films is he takes dramatic elements and very you know, serious problems and social problems and he puts absurdity in there so that we can laugh at them, which is how you really get to truth and like understanding. No, it's true. It's like the role of a comedian um, is telling the truth and and that's what Foreman does with this one. Yeah. Although I don't think he'd be a good stand-up comic. But that's why he's a filmmaker. That's why he's a filmmaker. (laughs) Um, But it's, it's also like a beautiful film the way it's shot and... I love all the shots in the snow towards the end. Yeah, the cinematography is beautiful by Miroslav Ondrasek, the same cinematographer as Loves of a Blonde. Um, he also did Foreman's first movie, which was a documentary audition. He went on to do Amadeus, Balmont, Balmont yep. Um, Ragtime. Ragtime. So he was a constant collaborator. Did a lot of other films. And he's excellent, too. like... Even the other films, we'll, we'll talk about it later, but yeah, he's constantly excellent. He shot A League of Their Own, too. Just had to say that. That was a, that's a cool one. That's, that's like what? Oh, yeah. It's, wow, he has a cool career. Anyway, we're looking at his IMDb. Um, beautiful shots, yes, in the snow at, towards the end. That's... It reminds me of, of Bruhill. Of what? Bruhill. Bruhill? Bruhill, the artist. A lot of his oh, shots in the know. snow. He's uh he's uh, he's from the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. It actually th- those last shots it kind of reminds me of the paintings of Peter Bruegel, Bruegel, the Elder, the Dutch painter. Yeah. Like a lot of those uh, um, paintings in the snow that he makes, like townspeople hanging out. Yeah. It reminds I me of that. that. I, I like wonder that. if that was an inspiration for him. I don't know. I like that. But, but yeah, this is definitely a culmination of all his. He definitely. Ends his trajectory making Czech movies with a bang. He really does. Because it's an he, excellent film. Yeah, and I hope he loved the film as it was seen afterwards, although he did say it was a quote-unquote molested yeah. film. I think it, it that just means 
he wasn't 100% happy with the... He had an idea of how it was going to turn yeah. out, and it was a little different. But even though it was different, it's really beautiful. We like him. We like him for a man. Milo's for a man. We don't... You don't have to change anything. Yeah, it's really it's funny. It's, it's a perfect. great comedy, um, but deals with heavy subjects and. That's um, the part. That's that's what makes an excellent movie. And you can laugh. You and feel you can, all the feelings. You feel all the feelings, right? and you can think as well. A bunch of non-actors as well in oh, this movie. Yeah. I think they're all non-actors. And they were all oh, good to mention. They were actually all of them. A lot of them were like actual firemen. So yes. Uh huh. That was their yeah. job. So he got some very real performances out of these people, which was hilarious. Which can be jarring a little bit when you once you start watching it. It's a little bit, but then once you get used to it, you get over it and you just completely buy into it. At yeah. least that was my experience. Right, right. And I don't think that it's trying to make fun of the working. No, man, it's the making fun. Man. It's making fun of authority. And right. I think it's almost celebrating the just absurdity and lightness of of and being. Cool. Yeah, right. it, well, but it also comments on corruption too. There's a little yes. bit of that, and like institutions. Like, I mean, even it's not, it's just like volunteer firemen. But but as far as like how it, um, how the film portrays the normal people, the non-firemen and the normal people at this ball, who they may seem a little silly and they're funny in the film, but I think it's just a celebration of how humans are funny, and that's not a bad thing. We are funny, weird. No people and we do strange things for sometimes for greed sometimes, sometimes we're sketchy for, yeah. That's it, yeah right it's a beautiful film it is Loved it. i just want to comment before we move on to uh his Ameri first american film uh, i just want to share this quote that really kind of explains how he felt about his early films oh, okay when i look back at my early films i think they were mostly about trying to see clearly Yes. Yeah, that correlates with this other quote I heard, an uh, interview with him saying, I was just trying to express truth. He had grown up with so much propaganda and lies around him. Yeah. And also, it, it's also finding his own way as a filmmaker, too. Mm -hmm. You know? All right, so that's going to lead us to the 1971 Taking Off which was Foreman's first American film, although Foreman considered this movie his last Czech film, since it, since it follows the same artistic sensibility and it also has the same sort of new wave elements that his previous films have. Um, it tells the story of a married couple uh, in New York, uh, Larry and Lynn Tyne, and on their quest to find their missing daughter, who they suspect is probably in danger, high as fuck, they end up attending a self-help group dinner for parents and missing their kids where they end up learning how to smoke joints instead of finding their precious daughter. They simply can't take the matter seriously and they end up partying again with another couple that they meet at the self-help group and they get drunk and they end up playing strip poker. The film includes musical cameos by Carly Simon, Tina Turner and Kathy Bates. Um, the film was a complete financial failure, and to this day, it's almost impossible to watch. It's very hard to find. It doesn't really have mm -hmm. a proper U.S. Uh, DVD release at the moment. Uh, but Foreman made up for all these losses, financial losses, by accepting to direct a commercial for the Royal Crown Cola. And uh, they liked his movie so much that the company offered him $1 million to make a spot 
playing of a humorous scene in which a large group of women auditioned for a director by singing a song at the same time. Foreman learned a lesson on capitalism for sure with this movie. Yeah, um, it was supposed to be a Paramount film. They actually made the deal with Czechoslovakian film export to bring Milos mm-hmm. over to America, and then they decided they didn't want it. They and decided, yeah. Universal took it. So. Well, Universal took it because they were hot on the idea of Easy Rider. Right, uh, and, and was, the hippie, kind of like hippie yeah, era. Yeah, and like, sort stories. of like transgressive, and they mm-hmm. thought like, ooh, this, this, it's gonna, it's kind of like a new Hollywood. Mm-hmm. So we want to make, you know, we want to make money out of more of this uh, transgressive uh, artist. But also, uh, even back Universal, when they, they started, they were always kind of like the more, more of adventurous kind of a studio. Yeah. Uh, so they definitely took a chance with, um, with Foreman in this film. Um, and I think it's a it's a shame that this movie is hard to find. It's a shame that it wasn't a hit. It's an excellent yes. film. It's it's it's, so good. it's really interesting. It's really funny, and it, I mean I think the closest one for this for this film is uh, is is it's got it's the the fireman's ball in a way mm-hmm. they have similarities and but this one's more like making fun of. Uh, manners of social forms and also it's it, it's making fun of capitalism and it's his first u.s film and he's definitely kind of like i don't know if he thought about it this way but it's it's always like that same of like rejection to like it's not rejection but like um like an absurdist take on institutions and social forms right he does this in all of his movies thus far exactly uh, yeah he does this, uh, uh, i think he continues over, yeah. to but we'll yeah. we'll keep talking yeah, yeah. about that um he really loves poking holes in the um expected expected normalities and formalities of uh, social behavior and social functions i love that about his films it's kind of like david lynch always uses a um, stage in like all of his uh, film, movies and tv shows he always uses Foreman always uses a ball or a dance or this mm-hmm. large social gathering yeah. to kind of comment on the formalities of relationships in large in group environments. It's, yeah, it's and it, I mean, cool. and in this film, we get that big old dinner of this yes, like self help group of people trying to find their the their kids. Yeah, um, and it's such a it's absurd just from the beginning because when these people lose their kid or they think her, their girl is gone. They kind of pretend they care, but not really. Mm-hmm. Like the mom kind of tries to freak out about it, but she's almost kind of like putting on an act, trying to right. be proper. It's like, I'm a mom. My daughter's missing. I need to freak out because this is what I'm supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And then the dad is definitely kind of like not doesn't very preoccupied. Care. He kind of doesn't care. But then the wife ends up pushing him to actually care. So it's like, okay, we're going to go look for her. And they go and try to find, and try, he only, trying to find the girl. And, right. And then he only ends up, and he does find her but she won't go with him wait she he he finds another girl yeah. remember he finds another woman's girl and she won't leave these strange hippie men that she's with and that's what drives him to kind of care because he meets this other mom well but who... they still they don't care because <laughs> they meet this other woman that's well, supposed that's a, to be trying to find work but she also seems like she doesn't care that's the thing they <laughs> they actually don't but they're so she he meets this woman who's the mother of another missing hippie girl, 
and the only reason why he cares now is because he's interested in her exactly well they're they're both interesting in each other yeah do a little swinger action there yeah and then nothing really happens and they will she ends up inviting them to the self-help group yes and then they ended up partying together what's the name of the association i don't know i believe it was called the society for parents of fugitive children yes um and since we're talking about (laughs) it uh one of the most uh iconic parts in the movie is that scene when the when this all these moms or dads are taught how to smoke weed. Yes. Why don't we just mm-hmm. check out the clip for it? This is a joint. The joint has two ends. It has one end which is rolled shut and another end which is open. Take the joint with the open end facing you firmly between your thumb and index fingers, like this. Do you know what I'm saying? Then you take it and put it in your mouth, like this. Then you take out a match, you light it, you put it to the end, and you inhale very deeply, like like that. Yeah, that part's amazing. It's Vincent Schiavelli, who's maybe the greatest um, like character actor, I'll, yeah, I'll say, definitely. ever. And he was in I almost all of um, Foreman's American films. Yeah. Uh, and always plays a really amazing role. But this one is, is the tops it's really for good. him. It's really so good. he's teaching a room full of the parents for in the very society. Very conservative. Very conservative, rich um, white parents uh, who are members of the Society of Fugitive Children. They're sitting, they've just had a large dinner in a ball type situation like we were talking about earlier and now they're sitting in a maybe a drawing room of sorts that has salon style hung paintings of other rich white people all over the walls <laughs> and they're teaching, they're handing out joints so that the parents can experience Experience what, what their, their kids children are experiencing, are experiencing yeah. and maybe why they're running away, and it ends up um, with the main two parents um, having a grand old time with another couple yeah. going back to their house. And it's pretty wild when they start playing street poker. Strip, poker, strip poker, yeah. Um, that's what happens when you're high. Anyway. Um, one thing that I found really interesting about the film is there, there's a documentary aspect to it, uh, which are all the scenes of uh, an audition, actually, which is reminiscent of his first film, which is a documentary about musical talents making auditioning. Uh, and it, we see the same thing. And actually, in real life, uh, the way he, it was a real audition, and he just filmed it. And we see some of the people that auditioned there, as, as I mentioned before, is Carly Simon, and we also get Kathy Bates, and at this point, they were unknown. Nobody knew yeah. who they were, and they actually just went to the open audition. It's pretty cool. Um, and that serves the purpose to, because that's what where the, actually the girl goes to. She's just going there to audition while their parents are, like, worried about her right. and what she's doing. She's, she's actually, a fugitive she's at a, this moment, but she's... She's actually auditioning for... Auditioning. for whatever that musical talent competition or yeah, something they're, they're playing seems. guitars and singing folk music yeah basically. but but it's it's a really endearing uh sequence and 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 it, it i like how it cuts to like 
whatever is happening with the narrative, and then it cuts to the. I was gonna comment on that. The editing in this film is oh, incredible. It's, it's incredible. And yeah, it keeps on going back and forth between the the reality that the the few quote unquote fugitive kids are experiencing as you know just wanting to hang out together and play music and um, and then going back to the parents' reality where they're freaking out and smoking joints and yeah. and we can't forget that while these people are supposedly so worried about their kids, they end up going to this amazing fucking bar. Where Tina Turner is yeah. playing a show, yeah, which is amazing, and the way it's shot, they do a lot of sort of like close-ups of Tina Turner singing. Oh yeah, from below. I know like, from really below. Weird yeah, camera angles. It's, yeah, but it's 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 sublime. It's it's just it's really beautiful. They have fun that night, and they parents. have fun that night too. The mom does a little striptease kind of dance, but they're having fun. You know, it's it's not like super serious. Again, great editing. She gets in flirty this with another guy too. She gets flirty, yeah. yeah. And you know. and I think all these things that we see of these adults pretending to be adults by behaving behaving in a really immature way, it just talks about like the same kind of like hypocrisy of it all. Like they wanna, they want their children to be very formal and act a certain way, but they cannot even enforce their own rules. And. And actually, one of the things that they also want to impose to their kids and why they're so worried they're going to become hippies, that is where the critique of capitalism comes in because it's this worry that they're just going to be like, you know, they're going to run away with a bunch of hippies and not do anything with their lives. And it's this concern that they need to actually make a career themselves so they can pay their bills and just like this pressure to become someone. And it actually, towards the end, it kind of all this suspicion that they have about hippies and I guess people having alternative uh, lifestyles and not being able to make it, it kind of ends up backfiring on their face and in a mm-hmm. really funny way. I don't want to, I don't know if I want to give it but... away, but let's just say that they meet, they finally meet the boyfriend of the daughter yeah, that was missing. And he's not what they expect. Well, he's, he is what they expected in some ways. He's a hippie, and he kind of looks like Charles Manson. A little bit. Um, but he's very, we'll just say he's successful in what he does. It's not too different now how parent, parents feel towards their kids. They want them to go to school, get a degree, be able to get a stable job, and it's a lot of pressure for people, young people yeah. today as well. But I think what's changed is the youth and now you know millennials and um younger people are fighting to get jobs rather than fighting to break free and and live alternative lifestyles yeah that's true Uh, but uh, it's also interesting how it shows that generational gap too in this film between what their adults think and what the kids want and it's similar to what we see in, in black peter too which is, which is always this duality between the dad lecturing him and what he wants to do, although we don't really get a sense of that, but it does show, like, you know, the difference in generation, and I yeah. think this kind of touches on that a little bit. This is a great, I mean, it. Um, this is a trope in all of the Foreman yeah. films prior, and in this one are the pressures of family and the pressures of parents and parents' expectations on the yeah. child. So I think... I don't think it's as much a critique to capitalism per se. It's more about 
uh, more like the manners and the way of life that that system creates. Definitely, yeah. Yeah, even though even though uh, Taking Off was, you would say, a flop, uh, it did win the jury prize at Cannes that year. So it, people did know it was an amazing film, but it just didn't do well in the box office. And, you know, America right. wasn't feeling well, it. And also Universal, uh, they kind of didn't advertise it very much. Right. So they, they were kind of like part of the problem. But we pray to the angels of movie making out there to please re-release this film because it needs to be seen. Yeah. People need to see it. It's an excellent film. It's released on European DVD and Blu-ray. Yeah, but we don't but get not, it here. Not in, a, and it's, not in the U.S. And it's, it's a, to me, it, is, it deserves to be a classic. I think, it's, I think it's a great film. Yeah, same. Join us next time for episode three, part two of our three-part series covering the filmography of Miloš Forman. Oh, come fuck the lily.